Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ, getting people lower rates on their health insurance by staying fit, and by Mithril.io, a decentralized social media platform that rewards content creators. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and I have a question for you. What would happen to society, to law, to taxation, if we called all beverages alcohol? I would assume that you wouldn't know what your kid's going to the store to buy. I would assume that the government wouldn't know how to tax certain beverages or hard to explain why they're taxed and why they're not. I would assume that it might be hard for your kid to buy a, a soda pop a Gatorade, or an iced tea at the store without being a certain age. Or it would just be very hard for people to come to the realization that some are different than others. So with that in mind, why are we calling everything on the blockchain cryptocurrency? Today, our conversation with Hazem, the CIO of Humanique, is going to touch on just that. Why are we calling everything cryptocurrency first we're going to define what is cryptocurrency what is crypto what is currency and then we're going to go into the different use cases the different aspects and the different classifications of these things that we call cryptocurrency because it's these classifications these names that we give it now that's going to help the blockchain space move forward with proper regulation proper legislation so we can utilize this new technology in the best, most efficient, most fair way possible. But before this conversation, please go to Crypto101podcast.com. That's Crypto101podcast.com. Go to the bottom of the page and find the social media icons and click on the one that you like best. But don't forget to click on the Facebook icon where we have 3,500 people there ready and willing to help you navigate the crypto space. Also, you can go to the contact us button and send us an email, say what's up. You can go to support us, send us some Ethereum, some Litecoin, or become a patron. The Patreons have been the backbone of Crypto 101 ever since we started doing Patreon, so thank you very much. And for our next Patreon release is the continuation of this conversation with Hasm when we talk about philosophies in governance and regulation. Really cool conversation, and we kind of just, you know, toss around some ideas, and that will be out later this week. Also, click on that big old button that says Tax you can get $101 off your tax preparation this year from Crypto Tax Prep. Not only will they do your normal taxes, but they will also do your crypto taxes, which is a little bit daunting. So don't forget to take advantage of that. And finally, go to iTunes and give us a rating and leave us a comment. That helps us stay on top of the other podcasts so people can find us and get this 101 information. Thank you very much and enjoy this conversation with Hazem. I will see you after the show. Hazem, welcome back to Crypto 101. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? We had some unfinished business from our last episode. and that We did. <laughs> indeed. And that unfinished business 
was the definition of digital assets. So I don't know where we want to start with this. We have a general idea, but where I think we should start with this is first give everybody a 101 on what is cryptocurrency and then maybe try to understand why we call it cryptocurrency and why we can't call it cryptocurrency and what are the different aspects or categories that we're finding emerging in this thing we call bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain what do you think yeah definitely so maybe to take a little step back it's directly in line with what you're talking about but nowadays when when people say cryptocurrency they're usually referring to coin market cap which has you know over 800 maybe over a thousand we're seeing new tokens coming out every day there's you know over 30 token sales happening daily and so everybody will say well these are all cryptocurrencies but you know th that's a little bit misleading because we need to go a few steps back to see, okay, well, what's a currency? Mm -hmm. what's a virtual currency, what's a digital currency, and then what's a cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And we can go into, you know, the technicalities and the nuances and all of that stuff. But, you know, a virtual currency is usually a, it can be a regular fiat currency that just isn't printed on paper or there are no coins or there's nothing physical about it. It's only in a virtual sense. Mm -hmm. So, and then you have digital currencies and digital currencies just exist again in the digital space. Space. That's where they are, and and usually storage of that currency is is done digitally. You so, can dig a little bit deeper within virtual currencies to say, hey, maybe it's just used within you know gaming, for example, or it's just used in X or Y. But now we're also seeing the majority of fiat currencies becoming digital. You know, what do you have on your banking app on your phone? The currency is becoming digital. Several countries in the world transact digitally. They're trying to make it a cashless society, for example. Right. These are all becoming digital currencies. Now, right. sorry to, to interrupt, but just one more thing. With cryptocurrencies, what is the first part of that word, C-R-Y-P-T? That's a reference to cryptography, which is an encryption, and it's typically related to Byzantine fault tolerance, which is how you get around the, the Byzantine general uh, concern. It's mostly an encryption and a security reference that cryptography is being used where there's some sort of algorithm that determines both the, the security as well as the hashing of transactions and, and all of that type of thing where nobody or no central body is minting the currency in and the node operators and, and the miners have to solve cryptographic algorithms, for example, using electricity and hardware. And that's one of the largest issues right now with Bitcoin, for example. Right. Okay. Let's back this up. One little step. We have, you said virtual currency and digital currency. We get cryptocurrency. Let's start at the very, very beginning. We said defining currency. Let's define currency. And then what is the difference between virtual currency and digital currency? Yeah. So I would think that virtual currencies and digital currencies have a lot of overlap. But if we go back even further to digital currency and then even further to digital assets, well, digital assets could be anything. Literally, it's anything that's digitally recorded or stored. That's usually what's meant with, by a digital asset. And then you have digital currencies where, well, you could make the argument that, you know, anything that's traded on the Forex is a digital currency because you're engaging with it using the Internet and using some sort of digital format or channel or whatever. And so that would be a digital currency. Right. Now, a virtual currency, one that 
only exists in the virtual world. You could make the argument, I think, that that's slightly different. Something that is clearly just a virtual currency is is in gaming, like I said. So within a game, you transact in this virtual currency. It's only there. And so virtual currencies are usually secluded to some virtual world within which they exist. At least that, that is the understanding that I would place on it. And then digital currencies, like I said, it's it's really anything. It could be fiat currencies that are becoming digital. But then where is the line between the digital and the virtual world? Mm. Does the virtual currency have to only exist within a, a small bubble or can it transact externally? If we say that all anything traded on the Forex is a digital currency, you know, then what are the lines there? I think we can categorize it. And I think uh, the best way to do that is that a digital currency is anything with which you interact using the, the internet, using some sort of digital mode of use or and so on and so forth. But then comes, well, the second term, which is currency itself, which is a medium of exchange and a store of value in itself, which is primarily the largest criteria of categorizing a currency. There's no real intrinsic value. It's just a medium of exchange, really. Right on. So we're kind of going through like a, a linear history, a little nonlinear, but a little linear history from currency to virtual currency to digital currency. Now we're at cryptocurrency. We already defined what that is because the first aspect of it is cryptography linked with currency. Now, is it fair to say that everything that's on CoinMarketCap is a cryptocurrency? I would say definitely not. And and I would say that because there are so many different types. One, you know, there's the first distinction between coins and tokens, and, and we can get to that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, because so many different tokens have various uses, they exist in different layers. You know, you have the blockchain layer, the protocol layer, and, and then you have the decentralized applications. Right. Uh, and here we're speaking about, you know, a, a public blockchain network. In those cases, then it doesn't make sense at all. Because if you have a token that, you know, serves a particular function and that particular function is not necessarily just being a medium of exchange, mm -hmm. which has no intrinsic value. It's just, you know, you're not redeeming it for something else. It's actually just for transacting. Then you do fall into a lot of issues because people begin feeling or thinking, and this is a very, you know, public opinion uh, type argument. People begin thinking and feeling that, okay, well, all of these things can be used to buy and sell things. Well, that is so far from the truth. Even even Bitcoin is incredibly difficult to buy and sell things with. And we're seeing that right now with regulation in different parts of the world where it's becoming a commodity. And then we get to the distinction, well, what's the difference between a, a commodity and a currency? And why has it been categorized as a commodity? Commodity, you know, something like gold, for example, where, again, the line between commodity and currency, you can list different arguments, but it often becomes very difficult as well. And the reason for that is with something like Bitcoin, because it's not centrally governed, the inflation, the deflation, the interest, uh, the printing of that money is not controlled by a central body. And that central body is usually able to put policies in place that move it away from being a commodity, which is just a store of value. And it's not usually used to transact. Now, a lot of currencies in the world were at different points in history, backed or pegged to commodities like gold and silver and so on. 
But now what we're seeing, for example, the euro or the US dollar, they're more so backed by the belief in right. the centralized institution the or feet, body yes. exactly that regulates it that's able to print, that's able to put policies in place in relation to inflation and deflation that can print, like I said, and, and so on. Right. Okay. So now that we said that it's not fair to call everything on coin market cap a cryptocurrency, I'm going to assume that Humanique is not a currency and you wouldn't say it's a currency, right? Yes. So <laughs> Humanique's HMQ. No, it's 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 a wonderful question. And we can go through a, a couple of different ones. But Humanique's HMQ, it fits into two primary buckets. And I think those those two primary buckets are both at the application layer as utility mm -hmm. and as well as a cryptocurrency. So what the purpose of it is, is for it to be used to buy and sell things. So a, a very traditional cryptocurrency in that sense, and it interacting with the outside world to buy and sell things for everybody for the 2.5 billion unbanked people so that they have a new source of income so that they're able to buy and sell things in the global markets, you know, locally and globally. But it also has utility, like it can be used within the application within the, you know, chats and group chats and so on. The interesting thing with in quotations, cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. is that they can also evolve, they can turn into different things. HMQ, acts on the application layer, right? So you have different layers, there's the blockchain, there's the protocol layers, and then you have the decentralized application, the dApps. And so Humanique, Humanique's in financial application, the token is an ERC-20 smart contract token, which acts within the application, which is the Humanique app, which is the wallet and, and the biometrics and so on. So that is how you'd be able to break it down. And where it, it originates or where it finds its genesis is through a smart contract on uh, the Ethereum mainnet, right? And so so that's another piece um, that I think is very important in when we break these types of things down, you know, and other examples, if you want to go into like, you know, Steam, for example, every token reflects and resonates its use, right? So right. if you see somebody that has a lot of Steam tokens, you'll say, okay, well, this is a valued content producer that contributes uh, with articles and posts and that type of thing, you right. know? And then there are others like, let's say, Sia coin or something like that, where you generate those coins or those tokens because you use their product or their service. So we can go into a little bit more of the categorization, and then I think it'll be super obvious and clear that Humanique's HMQ falls into two categories. But also over time, with adoption, that becomes even more clear. So I'd like to draw a parallel between Humanique's HMQ and Bitcoin. Can we go through the categories and kind of place certain coins or tokens into those categories so we kind of get like more of a representation of this is a currency or if it's not a currency or this is supposed to be a spend currency and why is that? So if I would say something like Bitcoin, Litecoin, would those be currencies? In my opinion, Bitcoin is probably the only real cryptocurrency. Uh, Litecoin, I would categorize it with it uh, just because it uses the same essentially underlying code as Bitcoin with a few modifications. The primary differences are, are for transactability and, and scale and so on. But it basically, Litecoin emerged through taking Bitcoin's open source code and modifying a few lines. That's essentially the difference. But there remains an issue because 
Bitcoin, yes, its primary purpose was to transact, have, you know, no inherent store of value. It's for transacting, for buying and selling goods and so on that isn't controlled by a central body. But then we look at the scalability issues. We look at how much electricity it takes to mine, how long it takes right. to make transactions and these types of things. So you, are you implying then, that it's turning into a commodity? So regulation would suggest yes. I would suggest not necessarily. I would suggest that there is an evolutionary aspect to all tokens, cryptocurrencies, and so on, depending on the code, the use, and how it interacts with reality, right? Just because there's a purpose or intention of a thing does not necessarily equate to that being the reality. Hmm. We need to look at what's really going on today in the world. Today in the world, the majority of people are holding Bitcoin because they want to make money. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a hundred hedge funds in the U.S. crypto hedge funds. You know, um, four or five of which are at the five hundred million dollar mark. Mm -hmm. Well, they're buying and selling these whatever you want to categorize them as because they're trying to make money out of it. Well, the forex people are doing the exact same thing. So we cannot simply because people are trying to make money rule that out. But if that's the case, and it's incredibly difficult to mine it, it requires a lot of electricity, and two, it's very hard to transact. It's taking incredibly long, and it may not be very scalable. And in a couple of years, the mining of Bitcoin could run out. We can talk about that later. There are some things that can happen in order to issue new coins. It's never happened with Bitcoins. It's never happened before, but it's a possibility. Well, then, is it really a cryptocurrency. Mm. You could argue then based on those that Bitcoin cash, it came out of a fork from from Bitcoin. You could argue that that is more of a, a cryptocurrency because it's, you know, uh, more transactions per block. It's right. faster and so on. Right. Yet, just like I said about it being evolute, it has this developmental aspect to it. Well, let's look at the Lightning Network that several different cryptocurrencies, again, in quotations, are trying to implement to make it more scalable, to make it faster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ether, Ethereum is, is exploring with it. Um, Bitcoin is exploring uh, with it. So is Ripple. And this basically creates an additional layer and separates the transactions from the blockchain. Again, it's it's much more technically uh, complicated than that. But right. That, I think, is an overview of what they're trying to do. Hence and Lightning the Labs. Show, Crypto 101. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A lot of these things confuse, I think, everybody in the world. And, and we, as just human nature, we like to be able to bucket things. But there is no universal kind of categorization. But there are a few that I think are fantastic. You've looked over one that's really good, which is Brave New Coin. There's another one, which is by Untitled Inc., which I think is like Medium. It's it's uh, similar to a blog post that was written by Thomas Euler with several professors. Really, really good. It's it's a token classification framework primarily, so it's looking more at tokens, okay. um, which is also really good. Like we said, all coins and tokens right now are considered cryptocurrencies, even if they're not a medium of exchange. But unfair a currency classification. Exactly. And a currency will be a medium of exchange and it's a unit of account, basically a store of value, but it has no real kind of intrinsic value. It's just a medium of exchange. And, and these points, I think, are, are the most important. But then we have, you know, altcoins, which are native to a particular blockchain network. And, and that is, you know, stuff like Ripple and Omni and, and stuff like that. And it's native just to the blockchain network that they've developed. Right. So what would those classifications be, a Ripple and Omni? 
they're native to that blockchain network only. So a blockchain network is created and then that is what's used within that blockchain network. And it can be used for anything, but this is just, it's different in that is the only place where it's used. If you were a regulator in Congress, let's say, and they said, okay, all cryptocurrencies are going to be taxed at 40%. You go, wait, this isn't a cryptocurrency because this is a closed ecosystem. This is a utility. And we're about to get to this utility and uh, and usage and all of that stuff that's in tokens which we're going to get to altcoins right. i don't consider as tokens whatsoever and altcoins you can break up into two there's native to the blockchain and then there's on the blockchain and the protocol which is just another layer and so you know litecoin is on the bitcoin derived blockchain which is the public blockchain, for mm-hmm. example. And, and then there's PureCoin and Dogecoin as well, which are on the same essentially underlying code. And so that's through a derived blockchain. But then the native blockchain, like I said, it's within that. Now, if you're talking about from a regulatory standpoint, well, regulation, it depends on which regulator we're looking at. Are we looking at, you know, the CFTC, the SEC, you know, the FCA, different regulators in the world? But the way they're going to look at it is the use in reality. And mm-hmm. that's another thing uh, that we were speaking about earlier. How are people actually using it? Why do people purchase it? Why do people get it? We're seeing a lot of people in the world you know, taking out mortgages on their houses in order to buy, quote unquote, cryptocurrencies. So from that standpoint, depending on what you're trying to do, are you trying to protect potential investors? Are you trying to make money? What are you? trying to do with this, then we'll be able to say, okay, this needs to be taxed for X. If it's just, you know, using it within a game or it just provides you with access to a platform, okay, Mm. which is now we're moving into tokens. Well, then that approach may not make a lot of sense. But how do we then explain why so many VCs and uh, and hedge funds and so on are buying all of these tokens or, or, or whatever, trying to make a lot of money on it? Well, now this is we have two opposing sides. We have one, the individual users who may may be trying to make money or may just want to actually use it. And this is a problem that stems from the idea of exchanges. The fact that there are exchanges that can be traded on, that can be this and that, and that creates the largest, I think, issues. And now going to tokens, well, tokens can represent assets or utility, right? And they're usually on top of another blockchain. They can represent essentially anything that's fungible or tradable. You know, it's uh, they're built on Ethereum or on Waves. Right. So the ERC-20 smart contract, like I said, the majority of ITOs or ICOs or whatever you want to refer to them as are using the ERC-20 smart contract. And if you then want to break up, and the article by Thomas Euler um, outlines this really, really well, if you want to break up the main kind of areas, you have purpose, and that is what you and I are speaking about. Well, what's the purpose of it? Is it just to buy and sell things? Is it to grow the network's users? Is it used as an investment? You know, you're buying them to invest in a company. And then you have various other areas, and and this is a fantastic article, and I think he categorizes it really well. And then you have areas of utility where then this is what you and I were just speaking about, which are things like access tokens or usage tokens. There's different terminology, which just in themselves give you access to a platform or a service or something like that. 
and and these are a little bit rare, I think, which are work tokens, which um, you're contributing work to a system or, or to a platform or to a network or whatever. And then you have the kind of underlying value. Underlying value is something you and I mentioned last time, which are like the asset backed. Is it tied to an asset? Is it tied to the value of the network? That's another way you can do it. Is it like a share? You could have it as a share in the sense where it gives you voting rights within the company and it's uh, it could actually be tied to shares, for example. And so when you sell the tokens, you're selling them as shares of the company and you're doing that because it provides liquidity to the investors, which means that they would be able to trade them and make a return prior to an IPO. Usually they're locked in, right? Other than different funding rounds. And then you have, of course, the technical layer, which I think is one of the most important areas other than the one I'm about to go to after this, which is what I was saying, is it a um, native to the blockchain, uh, which means it, it acts on the blockchain level and uh, it's the chain's native token. And then there's non-native protocol tokens, which are part of the protocol, which is slightly different. A protocol, again, is just the language that connects. It's like Twitter or Google. It's the language that connects the blockchain with the outside world, right? Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is a protocol. And so uh, a non-native protocol token is something like Ether. And then you have the decentralized applications, which are on the application level, which are built on protocols and so on. And then you have the legal status, which is what you were talking about, where I think right now it's comfortable to say that we could break them down between either utility tokens, which you mentioned, securities, cryptocurrencies, or commodities. Those I think are, you know, and commodities could arguably also fall under cryptocurrencies. I think the line is very, very vague and nobody and, and no regulator has been able to really draw the differentiating line between the two. And now a word from our sponsor. Yo, yo, this is Matthew Aaron. And a couple of things you guys probably don't know about me is one, I'm a vegetarian. And two, I wake up every morning at 6.30, go for a run and hit the gym. That's every day besides Sunday. Sunday's my pizza day. And did you know that an overall healthy lifestyle is associated with 57 to 60% lower risk of cardiovascular disease? And that lifting weights reduces the risk of heart disease, type two diabetes and arthritis. Well, today's sponsor, Health IQ, knows this, and they're an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. If this sounds When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply good to you go to healthiq.com slash crypto and put in our promo code crypto that's healthiq.com slash crypto promo code crypto and they'll help you out and see if you qualify for lower rates on your life insurance and now a word from our sponsor mithro.io a decentralized social media platform that rewards content creators hi my name is matthew and i'm a content creator and i would like to be rewarded for my content that I create. Well, 
Thank you to Mithril. Mithril will be integrated directly into new and existing social media networks to reward users and their operators for their contributions to the network. Myth, M-I-T-H, will leverage blockchain technology to ensure that transactions are secure and safe for all participants. This technology revolves around decentralized data storage that can record transactions between parties in an efficient, trustless, and immutable manner. If you're interested in a company that's on the blockchain that's going to reward content creators on social media, go to mithril.io, that's M-I-T-H-R-I-L.io, and check out their token sale. Now back to the show. There has been a lot of overlap. I heard Ethereum mentioned like 40 times already. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kind of thinking of myself here because we're talking about cryptocurrency. We're trying to do this podcast right now to educate people of how to start to refer to and think of these assets. And I'm imagining myself in a big old comfy leather chair in a hearing somewhere (laughs) in Congress, in a courthouse, in some, you know, government place. And I'm trying to decide how, how do I think about this? Yeah. yeah, how do I think about this? And I just heard you say Ethereum, 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 Ethereum. Is it a currency? Is it a protocol? Is it a <laughs> so so so? Let me uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll return to that. I, I might have um, missaid Ethereum earlier when I was speaking about Ripple, actually. But back to uh, to Ether. So, well, what is Ethereum? So, Ethereum, and correct me if I'm mistaken in in any parts of this. But basically, they have a blockchain. They develop the Ethereum protocol, mm-hmm. and that protocol is what connects the blockchain with developers who code in one coding language to develop decentralized applications. It's its primary differentiating factor is, is smart contracts. That's mm-hmm. that's really what the, the gist of it is. Now you have Ether. Ether is the native currency. However, however, and this is the thing, it exists within, and correct me if I'm mistaken, it exists within the protocol level as opposed to Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, exists within the blockchain level of it's a blockchain native cryptocurrency, whereas Ether exists within the protocol, making it a non-native protocol. And I think and and this distinction is important because, again, you might argue that, well, it's a little bit unclear, but we always need to go back to, well, where does it exist within the technical layers? And there are three layers, as I outlined. There's the blockchain, the protocols, and then the applications. These are really the three main layers. And then when you're able to identify kind of where it exists, that's step one. But just because you identify where it exists, it doesn't mean it's not a cryptocurrency. Ether is interesting in that, well, yes, it's used to buy and sell things. You know, if you want any, the majority, sorry, of token sales are contributed towards or invested in, depending on on the approach and, and the token and its characteristics, are purchased using Ether because it's an ERC-20 smart contract and the non-native protocol currency is Ether. And so that's why it's it's used. But is it used outside of Ethereum, really? Is it used to buy and purchase things as Bitcoin is now being used to buy and purchase things? And then you look at the value where, where does the value and the increase and so on come from 
uh, when we're looking at uh, these different things. You know, where does the, the value of Bitcoin come from? Some would argue it's the underlying capabilities of the blockchain. Some would, others would argue, well, it's based on the use that it's used for transacting. Right. And then other people would also say, well, no, it's because people keep investing in it and now there are futures and there may be ETFs around it. Well, Ether, a lot of its growth could arguably be attributed because of the smart contracts in place that allow people to fundraise. Now, that is, I think, a very interesting point, because then you say, well, it's not really used to buy and sell things other than tokens in right. the decentralized applications that are built on it using the ERC-20 smart contract. So I don't think categorizing it as a traditional cryptocurrency, which we've just established that we could say Bitcoin and Litecoin and, and so on are, that Ether would fall into that bucket. Questions about how do we want people to call cryptocurrency? We have different. We have different people out there. We could say we have the guy that you you know are sitting next to the uh, getting a beer in the bar and everybody's talking about Bitcoin. You don't matter what they're calling talking. They call everything Bitcoin. <laughs> then you have the next level of people that know a little bit more and everything's cryptocurrency. But now that we've just touched on all of these different classes and assets and categories, we need something to put it on there. Is it cryptocurrency? Do we still call it all cryptocurrency, or do we need to be more educated and start calling it? what it rightfully is. Definitely. I, I think that is step one. And, and that really comes down to education, how we want people to be educated around this. And you and I touched on this on the last call we had, which is people really need to dig into what they're doing and the, the decisions that they're, uh, they're looking to make when getting involved in the space. The worst thing is to begin getting involved and to not really know what you're looking at. And, and I know it is for a lot of people scary and daunting and unclear. And, you know, human nature pushes us to say, okay, well, we'll take the, the easiest way right. to understand this. It takes the least amount of time. It's less complex and it makes us feel comfortable. But there is something to be said from the standpoint of truly knowing what's going on in the market and, and where things are developing and moving towards. Understanding regulation and understanding the technical components is probably the most important thing. But also the what is the purpose and the intention in a thing? If you look to understand that more times and more often than not, you'll have a relatively good understanding of what it is for. Mm -hmm. And when you know that, you'll be able to categorize it yourself, I think. And, and you know, taking Steam, for example, it's also a, a non-native you know, protocol token. Its purpose is really to grow the network, and it can arguably also be a cryptocurrency if you wanted to say that it's it's used to to buy and sell things. But then you get to questions around you know exchanges and stuff like that, and you could really say that exchanges might not have been the best thing because it, it's added an additional purpose to everything, which is to make money, to trade it, to trade it for other things, to speculate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. And so when you said, well, should we look at cryptocurrencies all as a whole from a regulatory standpoint? Well, it makes sense to regulators because they're it all being traded. makes sense to me still, even. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, like, because they're all being traded on exchanges, right? And, and at right. the end of the day, what do regulators want to do? They want to protect investors from losing all their money. If you have a lot of people mortgaging their houses to buy Bitcoin, that's a problem. And we, we said this last time, and I, I maintain this position, nobody should ever put anything in cryptocurrency or in whatever, <laughs> okay, if you're not okay losing it all, because this is still at its, at its infancy. It's still just getting started. There's still a lot of technical issues. 
and they can still be used for a million and one things. If you're buying something, you know, how do you differentiate be between a scam and not a scam? You usually want to know that there is a product, there is an MVP, there is there are users that are actually using this for a particular function. And then the best, I think, simplified view that I take is, well, if, if you take just any token in the world or you take any company that is doing an ITO or that's offering its own token, they don't need to do an ITO. Ask yourself, well, why is this company using blockchain, you know, distributed ledger technology? Is distributed ledger technology needed and required for their business? Is the token or the coin or whatever that they are now creating needed for the functionality of the use of blockchain or distributed ledger technology within their company. It's all about use and need. If you can no longer establish a use or need, it could be a scam, a Ponzi scheme, or they're just selling a security, or it's just a money grab. You know, everyone is literally trying to do a token sale or an ICO because it's an easy way to raise money. It's primarily focused around marketing and that type of thing, but that is going to change drastically in 2018. I think 2018, we're going to see, of course, regulation develop in many, many different ways. And I can touch on, on a couple that, uh, that many people suspect are going to come. But we'll also see a change in ITOs and, and ICOs and, and token sales and that type of thing. We'll see a lot more brick and mortar companies. So much larger, older companies begin doing token sales. Can, can I just stop um, you right there for a second? When you're, of because since we have a, when you're saying regulation, are you coming from a North American centric point of view? Or are you talking about global or where, where is this regulation coming from? So right now we have three main camps when we look at regulation of, let's take ICOs for example, but more or less it's, it's also involving uh, cryptocurrencies to a degree. Often regulators look at them somewhat distinctively, but the approach they take is oftentimes the same. We have three directions. One, ban all. Two, create new frameworks that apply to them. Three, apply existing frameworks that have already been there to apply to them. So those are the three real directions that we're seeing in the world, if you wanted to categorize them. And this is something I, I always mention at talks that I give uh, around regulation and that type of thing. But what I think we're going to be seeing just, you know, in the market is that we're going to see a lot more brick and mortar companies. So larger, older companies doing uh, ICOs and so on, where they have existing clients, users, customers. I've been speaking to, to several. They have existing products. They want to incorporate blockchain or distributed ledger technology to their company. And they're expanding, let's say, a branch of or an area of their business or a business line to incorporate blockchain, where blockchain will be a required component to that uh, segment or area of, of business. And the token or the coin or currency or whatever will also be a required component. Now, you could create your own blockchain network if you wanted to. And you could then create a, again, this goes back to the layers. You could create a native token at the blockchain level. You could just develop your own protocol and have a non-native protocol token like uh, Ether we mentioned, or you could create a decentralized application on another through another protocol on another blockchain network. The majority of ICOs are not creating their own blockchain 
network and, and issuing their own token. What's happening is that they're using ERC-20 smart contracts or whatever else. But we'll see a lot more companies doing this where the token or the coin is also a required component where it has some sort of use or functionality, be it a usage token or a network token or a work token. It is really doing something. You can easily identify the function and the utility and the value that it is bringing and what's being done with it. It could just be to transact within their network. That is a very simplified way uh, of doing things. It could just be a point system, right? Almost like air miles and that type of thing. Or it could be used for various other uses, but it will be required and it will have inherent value within the use of blockchain in that business line. And then the reason for this is because the market is beginning to react to scams. And this is very important. They're beginning to see, well, hey, a white paper in and of itself is not enough to um let us put you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars into it. We've seen people disappear with money. We've seen you know, some horrible things going on where people have lost money. The market is now demanding that there be a product. So any other token sales and ICOs and so on will be developed. They'll have a much stronger team. They'll be providing a lot more information in terms of the due diligence that they're providing to the market, to potential contributors or investors, depending on what they're doing. They will usually have an MVP or a prototype or be much more advanced and have millions of users or clients or whatever. But then what we'll also be seeing is a lot more asset-backed tokens. So we'll be seeing companies fundraising by selling shares, tokenized shares, for example. We'll be seeing real estate and agriculture and many other different areas that are typically illiquid being made liquid using different patents, let's say, that they created for, for liquidity or elasticity, but more importantly, by tokenizing them. And you could really tokenize everything if you wanted to, but we'll be seeing a lot more of these two different directions. You know, more advanced and developed companies issuing utility tokens or use tokens such that they are trying not to be securities, so there's no speculation and intention to, to make profit. Uh, again, it the, the categorization of the security changes everywhere in the world, but that is, it's usually about, you know, intention to make profit and, and so on. Now, uh, then we'll be seeing, like I said, the asset backed. So those are tokenized shares or, or whatever else that are right. securities that are only being offered to accredited or sophisticated or whatever else it is in the jurisdiction that you're in. So that's right. what I suspect for 2018 and, and even 2019. And, and that's a that's because of what we saw in 2017, which is everybody and their cousin is issuing their own token coin. Or, or whatever else, and they're ma they're bringing in tons of money with practically nothing, and that becomes very dangerous because it's turned into a way of investing to make money, and people are taken by these absurd returns that they will probably never make, and that becomes very dangerous. But I think the market is really correcting itself currently, um, and that'll be reflected, I think, in in these two uh, streams and paths that we'll be seeing grow a lot more and cut out a lot of, basically trimming the fat, where a lot of tokens and a lot of coins crash, go to zero, and the ones that emerge are the ones that are sustainable because people often compare everything to the, the calm bubble which I think is a mistake, but there are similarities. The right. most important piece is that, well, when the internet came to be, what you saw at the beginning was not what you saw at the end. And right. I think that's the biggest takeaway. You right. don't know what's going to be the Google or the Twitter or the Facebook. Right. But 
something will exist when the dust settles. Right, exactly. And, you know, it does, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, we all, we all used American Online, and it's not there yeah. anymore. <laughs> but that's okay. It was a great company, and whoever invested in it and got out at the right time did really well. <laughs> One last question for you and before we go today. Um, I think it kind of t- touches on everything that we talked about today. We talked about different asset classes, what we should call cryptocurrency. I'm still going to use the generic term because for <laughs> for ease. But a couple of weeks ago, I put out an episode about taxes, crypto taxes. Tax season is here in the United States and people are upset that they're getting taxed on something that they say is a currency. Why should I get taxed on something that I'm going to send back and buy bread with or milk? And some people do do business and transactions with these tokens or coins or Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or what have you. And merchants are are starting more and more to accept them. So with these different classes that we said, and we have to educate the populace, we have to educate the average folk, and we have to educate our lawmakers, what can the average person do to get these coins, tokens, assets, commodities, utilities in the right categories so they can utilize them properly in the future? Yeah, so I I think that is the question. I'd like to just quickly again paint the picture that that I think we've we've come to throughout this call. The easiest way to differentiate them from a regulatory standpoint, like we said, are utility usage or access tokens in one bucket, second bucket securities, of course, third bucket cryptocurrencies, and fourth, potentially commodities. The difference between commodities and currencies, the lines are often blurred. The lines between utility usage or work tokens and cryptocurrencies can also be blurred. We then also need to look at the reality, what's really happening in the market, how is it really being used, and so on. That becomes blurred because of all the individual investors, institutional investors, hedge funds, VCs, and so on, as well as all of the exchanges. So there's a lot of blurred lines, but Hopefully, we're able to, you know, it's about weighing the probabilities, right? right? Is there is there more weight on one than the other? How can we categorize it and so on? Then there was the larger picture that I told you from the article and from Brave New Coin, where the article was by Thomas Aller, right? Uh, yes, it's it's by Thomas Euler. Euler Fantastic sorry. article. I'll, I'll send it to you. I think everybody involved in the space should really look through it. And, and I'm, I'm giving him a shout out here because it's really well done. Brave New Coin is also fantastic. Excellent. Brave New Coin, as you know, breaks it up into crypto assets. Crypto assets are then cryptographic assets or protocol tokens, which can then be payment crypto assets, platform crypto assets, application tokens or side chains. That's how they break it up, right? Everybody's going to have their own taxonomy. So like an application token could be around, you know, investing. It could be a cryptocurrency. It could be a store of value. A protocol token on on the side chain, uh, on a side chain could be a loyalty or rewards marketplace. A payment cryptographic asset could be, you know, there are all these different categories right, um, right. that they break things down to. But I think... Again, the most important is always coming down to its use. Brave New Coin says, well, protocol tokens go to application tokens where you have something like economy, which I hope you're familiar with. And then you have 
protocol tokens that can go into side chains that have things like Bitgoid or Bitgold or BitSilver. Other things are like, you know, the payment cryptographic assets that have things like Metacoin or Ripple or whatever. And then platform cryptographic assets, which are something different that have like Falcon or uh, or something like that. Back to it. I know this is a lot of information, but I think it's important. <laughs> then then there is the Thomas Euler approach, which is slightly different. And I think these are the two main approaches in this space, coupled with the initial approach that I mentioned around regulation, which are the four buckets. Then you have the Thomas Euler approach, which is general types. Is it um, a blockchain native token, a non-native protocol token, or a decentralized application token? What's its purpose? Is it to grow the network? Is it to invest? Is it to just buy and sell things? Is the underlying value uh, tied in some way or pegged to an asset right. to the network or to the uh, shares of the company? Is its utility, you know, just to access? Is it due to contribute, you know, something to the platform or service or software? Or is it a mixture of the two? And then its legal status, that goes back to what I was speaking about earlier. So again, my apologies, but this is the framework within which we're playing. Identify the layers of technology, identify its use, identify where you think it's going to fall from a legal and a regulatory standpoint. What can the everyday person do? Read, talk to people, don't be gullible, don't take anything as it seems. Nothing is ever as it seems. Dig as much as you can, especially if you're putting money in it. Be very, very careful. Be cognizant and aware that this is a changing market. Things are changing very quickly. Always follow regulators in different locations because history, like you said, you know, the past, it will always rhyme. We will always see new and innovative technologies and, and uses of things and, and so on. And regulators, more often than not, act as they've always acted. But they are, many regulators are trying to connect with um, the private sector, trying to understand the technology and try to put something that in place that doesn't necessarily hinder innovation, but does protect, protect the everyday person. So you talk about, you know, taxes or, or the bans and all of these things. Well, a lot of times people are fearful of what they can't control. And that's at an individual level, a governmental level, a regulatory level. But at the same time, we need to also know that there is crazy volatility. A lot of people have lost a lot of money. Money has been stolen. Money has been taken away. So I think what we need is to come, I think, together globally, develop a series and a set of best practices that mm. puts into place regulation is always going to be different everywhere. There will never be some sort of centralized or, right. or the same approach, but I'm referring to best practices that don't hinder innovation, protect individual investors, and that goes into the anti-money laundering, KYC, know your customer stuff, and so on, but also puts barriers. We need to be able to classify and categorize things because that then gets tied to the level of risk associated to it. Mm -hmm. Situational awareness and calculated risks are always the most important things for anybody out there, for your listeners, and for anybody that's just getting involved in the space or who has been in this space for a long time. And that just comes from knowledge. Read as much as you can, be familiar with the technology, the regulation, and the use. If you're really going to use it for the purpose of it itself, then that says something. But if you're just getting it because you wanna make you know, a couple of million, that changes things. And right. there's probably a lot of other people that are looking at it in the same way. And the majority of people probably are, which then takes away from the 
token being a utility or a usage token and so on. And this goes back into, well, let's say there's an ITO going on and the company is advertising how if you get this, you will make thousands of percent returns and it will be traded on all the top exchanges in the world but they're a utility token and here are all the 15 things that you can do with it uh, within their platform that is not yet developed right well you're going to look at that and you're going to be like okay well anybody that gets into this well one it could be a scam two it's probably going to be a security right now do they have any mechanisms in place are they compliant are they etc cetera, etc cetera, based on the jurisdiction that they're acting in these are the types of questions everybody should be asking. Is it real? Who are the people involved? Do they have a product, a you know, software platform and so on? Do they have existing users? What is the real purpose and use of it? But also, are you willing to take that risk? So just don't be afraid, but be cognizant and calculate the risks and read and speak to as many people as can and develop your own framework. Today, you and I spoke about two frameworks along with my opinion about them and, and, and yours and so on. But develop your own framework so that it makes sense. Common sense and, and business commercial sense are the strongest thing. And, and I think everybody inherently can get to that point where it truly makes sense to them. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. And it was a pleasure talking to you. I very much appreciate it. Matthew, truly, it's always a pleasure to be here. And uh, it's always good fun chatting with you. And, and I love your approach and, and what you're looking and what you're doing for the space. Man, thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Talk to you later. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. And I hope that everybody realizes how important they are as individuals to this movement. Calling a digital asset by the name it's supposed to be called because of its utility or what its purpose is on the blockchain is so important. As remember from Mario Costanz of CryptoTaxPrep.com that even buying coffee with Bitcoin is a taxable event. And I think that's because people just don't know what it is yet. And people think everything is the new currency. Well, it isn't. And by us being educated and knowing and eternalizing and then telling everybody about digital assets and the different asset classes that are being created on the blockchain will make a fair future for all of us. But before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E Crypto.com, the best place to check real-time prices. We will see you next time on Crypto 101. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.